PTJ podcasts are made possible by the American Physical Therapy Association. Physical therapists diagnose and treat people of all ages with all types of health conditions to help keep them moving and functioning in daily life. Welcome to PTJ's The Bottom Line for October 2009. I'm Donovan Stutel, along with Dave Curvoisier. Bottom Lines translate the findings of selected research articles for clinical practice. Bottom Lines are not intended to substitute for a critical reading of the original articles. Our first bottom line summarizes Stretch exercises increase tolerance to stretch in patients with chronic musculoskeletal pain, a randomized controlled trial. By Roberta Law, Dr. Lisa Harvey, Dr. Michael Nicholas, Lois Tonkin, Maria D'Souza, and Damien Finnis. First, what problems did the researchers set out to study, and why? The use of stretching in pain management programs for individuals with chronic musculoskeletal pain is commonly prescribed. However, little is known about its effectiveness. The researchers set out to measure tolerance to stretch and muscle extensibility, which are of particular importance for individuals with chronic musculoskeletal pain. Who participated in this study? 30 adults with pain of musculoskeletal origin lasting for at least three months were included in the trial. These subjects were recruited from a pain management clinic. Patients who could not tolerate hamstring stretching or those with excessive hamstring length were excluded from the study. What new information does this study offer? In this trial, stretch did not improve muscle extensibility, but did improve tolerance to stretch following a three-week stretching program in individuals with chronic musculoskeletal pain. What new information does this study offer for patients? This trial suggests that stretching exercise may improve tolerance to stretching, even if it does not improve muscle extensibility. Improving tolerance to stretch is an important component of the benefit that stretching can provide to patients with chronic musculoskeletal pain. How did the researchers go about this study? A supervised tissue lengthening program was delivered by physical therapists and embedded as part of a multidisciplinary pain management program. The exercise was performed for one minute per day for three weeks over 18 days. Muscle extensibility and tolerance to stretch were assessed using a device designed to measure passive hip flexion and hip flexor torque. The leg that was exercised was compared to the opposite control leg, which was not exercised. How might the results be applied to physical therapist practice? This trial provides evidence in support of the use of stretching exercise as part of a multidisciplinary pain management program for individuals with chronic musculoskeletal pain. Clinicians may observe improved tolerance to stretch. What are the limitations of the study, and what further research is needed? It is possible that a different stretching protocol may have provided different results. Future research should investigate the role of psychological and neurophysiological factors that may have accounted for the increase in stretch tolerance. Future research also should examine the effects that specific stretch programs have on individuals with specifically defined chronic musculoskeletal pain disorders. This bottom line was written by Dr. Eric Robertson, Assistant Professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas. Our next bottom line summarizes effects of hand cycle training on physical capacity in individuals with tetraplegia, a clinical trial by Dr. Linda Vallant, Dr. Annette Dalmeyer, Dr. Han Haudick, Dr. Hans Slotman, Dr. Tomas Janssen, 
Dr. Marcel Post, and Dr. Lucas von der Waude. What problems did the researchers set out to study, and why? Physical activity is important for individuals with tetraplegia, and hand cycling is often used as a form of mobility. Little evidence exists that speaks to the effectiveness of hand cycling as a mode of exercise for this population. The goal of this research was to examine changes in exercise capacity in a group of individuals with tetraplegia who were completing a hand cycling program. Who participated in this study? Twenty-two individuals with tetraplegia, American Spinal Injury Association Impairment Scale Classification A to D, for at least two years served as participants. They had motor incomplete C5 to C8 lesions and had no upper extremity overuse injuries or secondary health problems. What new information does this study offer? Participants in this study were able to improve their physical capacity while engaged in an interval-based program of hand cycle training without significant shoulder arm pain or discomfort. What new information does this study offer for patients? This study demonstrates that hand cycling is a feasible form of exercise training for individuals with tetraplegia. This exercise was associated with an increase in exercise capacity and did not produce negative effects in the shoulder and arms during the exercise training. Patients with tetraplegia may want to explore hand cycling as a form of exercise in their pursuit to maximize physical fitness. How did the researchers go about this study? The participants completed a training program over 8 to 12 weeks and about 24 sessions. The training sessions were 35 to 45 minutes in length, were performed at 60% to 80% of heart rate reserve, and were interval-based. The subjects were evaluated before and after the training for peak power output and peak oxygen uptake during a hand cycling test. Secondary outcomes consisted of muscle strength, respiratory function, and shoulder arm pain. Participants were routinely monitored for signs of autonomic dysreflexia. How might the results be applied to physical therapist practice? The results from this study support the feasibility of using interval-based hand cycle training for individuals with tetraplegia. However, careful attention to the health status of the participants is warranted. What are the limitations of the study and what further research is needed? This study was limited by a high dropout rate and poor adherence to the exercise program due in part to a high incidence of urinary tract infections, bowel problems, and pressure sores. Although there were no reports of shoulder arm pain during training, there was no long-term follow-up. Future research should focus on optimizing hand cycling training protocols and methods to improve adherence to and tolerance of the exercise programs. This bottom line was written by Dr. Eric Robertson. Our next bottom line summarizes step test scores are related to measures of activity and participation in the first six months after stroke. By Dr. Vicki Stimmons-Mercer, Dr. Janet Keyes-Freeberger, Dr. Xiao Xu Chang, and Dr. Jema Purser. What problems did the researchers set out to study, and why? The step test measures the maximal number of times the foot can be placed onto a 7.5-centimeter step and returned to the floor in a 15-second interval. In people with stroke and hemiparesis, the step test assesses the ability to use the paretic lower extremity for stepping or for single-limb standing balance. 
In this study, the researchers wanted to determine whether step test scores are related to other well-established measures of activity limitations and participation restrictions in people with stroke, and whether these relationships change over the first six months following stroke. Gait, speed, and the physical function index of the medical outcomes study 36-item short-form health survey were used as function-level measures of activity and participation. Three components of the stroke impact scale were used as disability-level measures of activity and participation. Who participated in this study? Thirty-three individuals with stroke were enrolled out of seventy-eight screened for eligibility. To enroll, participants were required to have an acute unilateral stroke with some lower extremity motor impairment, a score twenty-eight or less on the lower extremity motor scale of the Fugelmeyer assessment. Be medically stable and without serious cardiovascular or musculoskeletal problems. Be able to follow a three-step command. Be able to reach in all directions with the non-paretic hand in unsupported sitting. Be able to see and hear adequately to follow testing instructions. Be able to read and understand English and live within 80 kilometers of the testing site. Participants were excluded if they had involvement of the cerebellum or a history of prior stroke or another neurological diagnosis, were unable to ambulate or live independently prior to the stroke, or had a terminal illness, any pain, or reduced motion or weakness in the non-paretic leg. What new information does this study offer? Step test scores are related to both function level and disability level measures of activity and participation. But the relationships with functional measures appear stronger overall. Specifically, step test scores were positively correlated with both gait speed and physical function index scores at all time points, and gait speed was more closely related than physical function index scores. Step test scores were also positively correlated with the mobility activities of daily living, instrumental activities of daily living. And participation domains of the stroke impact scale, the mobility and activities of daily living, instrumental activities of daily living domains were related at all three time points measured. The participation domain was related at two time points, baseline, and three months. What new information does this study offer for patients? Stepping performance measured by step test scores from either the paretic or non-paretic leg. Is related to performance of important functional skills such as walking. How did the researchers go about this study? Participants were first tested at a hospital facility between initial admission and one month post-stroke. Subsequent laboratory testing was done at monthly intervals up to six months post-stroke. Outcome measures were step test scores, gait speed. Physical function index scores and mobility activities of daily living, instrumental activities of daily living, and performance scores of the stroke impact scale. Step test scores were calculated for paretic leg stepping, non-paretic leg stepping, and the sum of both legs stepping. Gait speed was measured during a 10-meter walk. Physical function index and stroke impact scale measures were obtained through personal interview. Step test. Gait speed and physical function index scores were recorded at each month. Stroke impact scale scores were recorded at baseline, three months, and six months only. 
To determine the relationships among variables, the researchers measured the strength of the linear correlations between each of the variables across all available time points. How might the results be applied to physical therapist practice? The consistent correlation between step test scores and activity and participation measures across multiple time periods of recovery from stroke suggests that the step test may aid physical therapists in clinical decision-making. What are the limitations of the study, and what further research is needed? The study used a relatively small sample size given the large number of statistical comparisons made. Examiners were not blinded with regard to subject characteristics or test performance on previous visits, but avoided access to this information when possible. Future studies should expand this work to include testing of individuals with multiple brain lesions or significant pre-existing conditions to determine the ability of step test scores to accurately predict outcomes in the chronic state. This bottom line was written by Dr. Susan Morton, Assistant Professor in the Graduate Program in Physical Therapy and Rehabilitation Science at the Carver College of Medicine at the University of Iowa in Iowa City, Iowa. Our next bottom line summarizes muscle deficits persist after unilateral knee replacement and have implications for rehabilitation by Anu Valtonen, Dr. Tapani Poihonen, Dr. Ari Hainonen, and Dr. Sariana Sipila. What problems did the researchers set out to study and why? Knee joint replacement is a common treatment for knee arthritis. Previous research has shown limitations in mobility and strength of the affected limb following knee replacement. However, little is currently known about the persistence of specific muscle deficits and their effect on mobility in individuals who have received a total knee arthroplasty, or TKA. The researchers set out to study the extent of muscle deficits in knee extensor and flexor muscle torque and power, and an extensor cross-sectional area and composition. The researchers also wanted to observe any relationship between muscle deficits and mobility limitations. Who participated in this study? The study included 29 women and 19 men between 55 and 75 years of age who had received a unilateral TKA an average of 10 months earlier. Patients with severe cardiovascular disease, rheumatoid arthritis, or bilateral TKA were excluded. What new information does this study offer? Deficits were observed in knee flexor and extensor, torque and power, and an extensor cross-sectional area. A larger deficit in knee extensor power predicted difficulty in stair ascent and descent. What new information does this study offer for patients? The study provides evidence that the muscles around the knee that was surgically replaced may remain weak and that this weakness can be a cause of mobility limitations following knee replacement. How did the researchers go about this study? For the group of subjects, the researchers measured maximal isokinetic torque. They measured cross-sectional area through the use of computed tomography. The researchers also measured walking speed and times during stair ascent and descent. How might the results be applied to physical therapist practice? 
The evidence provided by this study may help physical therapists design rehabilitation programs that take into account the persistence of muscle deficits up to 10 months following total knee replacement. This information can help correlate mobility limitations with muscle power deficits. What are the limitations of the study, and what further research is needed? Most of the subjects were healthy and relatively mobile in this trial. Patients with less than optimal health may have more muscle deficits. Future trials should investigate optimal interventions to prevent and restore muscle deficits and mobility limitations following total knee replacement. This bottom line was written by Dr. Eric Robertson. Our next bottom line summarizes... Age affects the attentional demands of stair ambulation. Evidence from a dual-task approach. By Dr. Heidi Oja, Dr. Rebecca Kern, Dr. Chen Ho, Janice Lin, and Dr. Carolee Winstein. What problems did the researchers set out to study, and why? Fall risk among the elderly is high, and fall-related injuries are rising among elderly individuals. It has been theorized that as motor tasks increase in complexity and difficulty, greater attentional demands are required to complete the task. Therefore, elderly individuals may require greater attentional demands to perform stair ambulation compared to younger adults. However, this analysis has not yet been performed. The researchers set out to use a dual-task approach to compare the attentional demands of a group of elderly adults with those of younger adults during stair ambulation. Who participated in this study? Ten healthy adults over 65 years of age and ten healthy young adults between the ages of 23 and 31 participated in the study. The participants were all in good physical health, Individuals were excluded if their functional performance was below that of age-matched controls, they had poor vision or heart conditions, or they had physical therapy within the preceding three months. What new information does this study offer? Voice response times were significantly longer for the group of older adults during stair ascent and descent compared with the younger group, indicating that older adults had greater attentional demands for this task. What new information does this study offer for patients? Walking on stairs requires more attention than level walking or standing. Older individuals require more attention than younger individuals while going up and down stairs. This information is critical to understanding why older adults have an increased risk of falls on stairs, and it can help in the development of strategies to reduce fall risk. How did the researchers go about the study? The researchers recorded voice response times during level standing, stair ascent, and stair descent in this single-site prospective observational cohort study design. How might the results be applied to physical therapist practice? The data from this trial support the notion that even healthy, high-functioning older adults require more attentional resources during stair ambulation compared with younger individuals. Physical therapists can use this information when designing programs to reduce the risk of falls in older adults. What are the limitations of the study, and what further research is needed? The participants in this study were all healthy, and the older group had high scores on functional measures at baseline. Future research should investigate the attentional demands for individuals with conditions that may further increase the difficulty of stair ambulation and should examine effective strategies to improve stair ambulation to reduce the risk of falls in the elderly population.
This bottom line was written by Dr. Eric Robertson. Our final bottom line summarizes, physical fitness in children with high motor competence is different from that in children with low motor competence. By Monica Haga. What problems did the researcher set out to study, and why? Physical fitness is an important marker of health status throughout the lifespan. Children with a reduced ability to perform coordinated movements, or low motor competence, which is commonly associated with developmental coordination disorder, have more difficulty maintaining healthy activity levels than children without developmental disabilities. If these children perceive themselves as inadequate at task performance, whether because of peer or teacher criticism or because of their own experience, they may further reject physical activities typical of their age group. Impaired skill, reduced participation, and compromised fitness may persist or worsen as the child ages with long-term health implications. Previous research has demonstrated that children with low motor competence have difficulty performing fitness tasks. The author wanted to compare fitness development over time in two groups of children, those with low motor competence and those with high motor competence. Who participated in this study? 67 children who were 9 to 10 years of age from a mainstream primary school completed tests of movement ability and physical fitness. What new information does this study offer? The low motor competence group performed more poorly than the high motor competence group on all nine fitness test items at both the initial and final measurements. There also was an overall difference in physical fitness measures between the low motor competence group and the high motor competence group. Both groups showed significant improvement in some fitness test items over time. The low motor competence group improved in three of the nine test items, and the high motor competence group improved in seven of the nine test items. What new information does this study offer for patients? Although the children with low motor competence in this study improved their fitness levels over time, they had impaired fitness compared with their peers. Participating in fitness activities, in addition to motor skill training, could have important health benefits for these children. How did the researcher go about this study? At the onset of the study, the author tested each child using the Movement Assessment Battery for Children, or MABC. One week later, she administered the Test of Physical Fitness. The MABC assesses fine and gross motor coordination using eight subtests categorized as manual dexterity, ball skills, or static and dynamic balance. The Test of Physical Fitness quantifies a child's physical fitness level using nine items, based on jumping, throwing, climbing, and running. Both tests were repeated 32 weeks later. The 12 subjects with the highest MABC scores, indicating motor problems, were placed in the low motor competence group. The 12 subjects with the lowest MABC scores were placed in the high motor competence group. Differences in fitness between the two groups of children over time were assessed using an analysis of variance for the nine different scores in the physical fitness battery. After attrition or missing data, analysis was performed on eight children, three girls and five boys in the low motor competence group, and ten children, four girls and six boys in the high motor competence group. How might the results be applied to physical therapist practice? This study supports the concern that children with low motor competence may have reduced physical fitness compared with their peers and that this difference persists over time. The study also shows that these subjects improved their fitness over time, 
Given the relationship between childhood and adult patterns of fitness and health, clinicians should address fitness in children with low motor competence. This could be done by creating motivational fitness activities at which children with low motor competence can succeed. Such success may improve their self-perception and encourage further participation in physical activity. What are the limitations of the study, and what further research is needed? Participants were not matched by physical variables such as body composition, and although the author discusses the importance of self-efficacy, it was not measured. Subject characteristics beyond sex and age in this small sample size were not provided. Future research should establish risk factors for reduced fitness in children with low motor competence to further elucidate the relationship between fitness and low motor competence. This could provide a basis for research on effective fitness interventions in children with low motor competence and their impact on long-term adult fitness. This bottom line was written by Dr. Susan Perry, associate professor in the physical therapy program at Chatham University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Science Audio, online at www.scienceaudio.net. We always appreciate your feedback. You can email ptj at scienceaudio.net or leave a voicemail at 626-593-7825.